people start seeing that the bottom end suburbs, outer suburbs are appearing higher in price, not as good value, people are going to move up towards those middle price points more. Just because something's had strong growth recently, it could actually now be overpriced and not representing as great a value and might be cooling off. I developed something called our trifecta criteria and we use it to ensure that the suburb area and property all stack up. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate the highly rated and award-winning property management, sales and buyers agency servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here's your host, Jared Mann. When we look at the Perth median house price, it's changed uh, over the last year from 540000 to 560000 to the 30th of June. And that's only an increase of 3.7%. So it's easy to see when you're researching from afar and you just take these top-level median house price changes, you could think that Perth hasn't performed very well over the last year. And what I'm going to show you today is why you need to look deeper and see what's happening at the individual suburb level. And that's going to give you a much better idea for how strong and hot our market is at the moment. So what is the median house price after all? It's that the price that half the properties have sold above for and half have sold below for. And where is can this median house price data be found? Well, I use a variety of websites. Some of them are free, some of them are paid and subscription-based, some of them cost a lot of money and you could only potentially really afford them as, as a buyer's agent um, like we are. But there's plenty of free information available on the REWA website. That's spelled reiwa.com.au. CoreLogic has some great uh, free data and uh, subscription data that you can um, also get for relatively low cost. And then there's other places like realestate.com where they've got some data available as well. And all of this, I, I don't just sort of rely on any one source and I bring different things together. There's some other really good subscriptions available such as HTAG, which is High, it stands for higher than average growth, HTAG. Suburbs Finder I use as well, and DSR Data. So those ones are really good as well. But of course, data is only a small part of the puzzle. The interpretation of the data, knowing what's important, and then how to actually act on that and drill it down to selecting a suburb area and property, that's what I'm going to hopefully give you a bit of further guidance on today as well and of course if all of it just seems too hard and you don't want to spend all the effort uh, yourself we've got our buyer's agency service and uh, we can certainly make the whole process easy and ensure that you're making a selection that's going to have the most likely chance of outperforming so how can that median price be distorted and i often think on this because sometimes you just see a change in the median house price and you think how can that be? And there's many reasons when you actually start thinking about them. So some of the, the more common ones that distort the median house price is when a whole lot of new housing is created in a suburb, it pushes that median house price up. Or if the housing created in there could be cottage blocks in a more established suburb, for instance, and they're selling at a lower price point, it could push the median house price down. 
So basically the creation of that new housing often differs to any of the established housing and so it's not reflective of growth in the established prices, it's just reflective of more of a different type of price point, different type of housing selling. What are some other ways it can be distorted? Well, with buyers seeking out more affordable housing at the moment, there's a lot more activity in the lower price points. So there's a lot more properties transacting down the lower end. And when we think about what's median, half the properties are selling below and half above. If there's very, if properties in the upper end and the higher price points are really tightly held and there's not much selling, of course, that's going to skew the median house price down towards the lower prices being reflected in the median. And that's what's happening in our median house price for Perth. Why are people tending towards the lower end? Well, you'd have to be living under a rock not to know that interest rates have been steadily increasing, that now seem to be in a bit of a holding pattern. But buyers are seeking out affordable value, properties that represent good value, and investors are seeking out rental yield. So all of those are going to be attractive to both those home buyers and investors towards the lower end of the market. So, And there's a lot more properties selling. There's a lot of people that have wanted to get out of the lower end. You have to think back that our growth started strongest in the upper end. There was a lot of more transaction volume in there previously. It's rippling uh, and, and it's kind of skipped the middle in many ways. And now it's down with a lot more focus towards the bottom end and arguably the middle is representing a lot more value. So as the people start seeing that the bottom end suburbs, outer suburbs are appearing you know, higher in price, not as good value, people are going to move up towards those middle price points more and investors are going to head more towards them because that's how price and demand ripple through our overall market. So how else can median house price be distorted? Well, it depends on to what extent homes are being substantially renovated and that can cause a big increase in prices when they are then being resold. And that can happen, especially in these trendy and upcoming suburbs and western suburbs. So part of that median house price change is because someone's converted that three by one into a four by two. They've done an extensive extension on the the property and, and top level more homes are selling for higher price points because they've been substantially renovated. How else can it be distorted? Well, it depends how much sales volume there is for the given suburb. And previously, I've gone off of wanting at least 50 sales to have a really strong uh, and more accurate representation. But in preparing my data this time, because sales volumes are so much tighter, when I looked at how many suburbs would be excluded with less than 50 sales, there was a lot. And so I've re-looked at uh, where that cutoff should be and I'm including all suburbs that have had 30 sales and over in their sales volume. And of course, keep it, take it with a grain of salt when you come and look at the specific suburbs. But that's what I did as a top level. When the when the number of sales hasn't been that great, the distortion can be higher, and you just need to pay attention to that if you if you're using it to make decisions. So, how can the median house price be used? It's th- that readily available guide as to what's happening 
to selling prices in a suburb, region and state. And what I do know is that changes to the median house price should not be relied upon when you're looking at short periods of time and especially when you're looking at quarterly or even potentially yearly for the reasons that I just mentioned it's uh it can be there's more chance of it being distorted and that's why I like to look at the longer term trends in the median house price over as much time as possible including as many property cycles as I can reliably get data for and you may have heard me say in the past that I've had a special study done by REWA to compile 30-year average annual growth rates, 30 years of median price data, and they um, specifically, you know, we've both, they went through and I went through and specifically filtered out things that, uh, you know, prone to error and li- not likely to continue. Um, and so I don't include those suburbs in my data set. And this data, as far as I'm aware, is not available to the public anywhere as far as I've seen. Ariwa does make available to us agents uh, in their data set 20 years and 15 year median house price data. CoreLogic does uh, make available at the individual suburb level 20 year median price data, but I haven't seen the 30 year publicly available. So that's something that, as far as I'm aware, is exclusive to us and what we're using. So that's a good starting point to making sure that longer term the property's performed. I also see a lot of investors chasing the suburbs that have had the strongest recent increases and they're specifically seeking them out to buy in there because it's performed well over the last five years or over the last 10 years or over the last three years and then you really need to be looking through to will this likely continue because just because something's had strong growth recently It could actually now be overpriced and not representing as great a value and might be cooling off. So you can be pretty sure that the suburb is hot if it's performed, you know, really well recently, but you need to look deeper to see what's the shorter term potential and also look at how it's performed over the longer term and whether it should even be on your list because if it's sucked ongoing you know over the last 20 and 30 years then you know what has changed has something changed to make it more desirable has the market finally uh, determined that it's undervalued i like don't like to be making those kind of guesses unless i've got a substantial amount of evidence to suggest that it has because i mean we really don't want to be buying a property have it perform well over a year and then do very little over the next 10 20 30 years So what's the other way that we can look to use median price data? Well, you might have heard me speak about mean reversion in the past. And there's certainly some merit in comparing how the median house price for a given suburb has done over the last one year, three years, five years, 10 years, and compare those all with the 30-year data or for as long a period as you can get. And then we can see where has recently underperformed. So we compare that. I like to compare the three-year period with the 30-year period. And we can start to sort of think, okay, well, this area might be due for some catch-up or some reversion to that long-term average. And then we can also look into the relative value between individual suburbs that are next to each other 
and how the demand might ripple from one suburb to another once buyers start to become out, you know, outpriced by individual suburbs. And I was referring to this before. I think it's almost going to happen the other way because interest rates increasing sort of distorted the normal growth cycle. Normally, we would have started at the upper end, rippled outwards through the middle and middle price suburbs, and then finally got to the lower end. What I've seen sort of happen is it started at the upper end, so kind of skipped the middle and went to the outer. And I doubt the the middle is going to be forgotten completely. So now that the outer is becoming really higher priced, I'm certainly thinking that the middle's representing a lot greater value and need to almost look at the ripple back the other way. So it's worth comparing at the top level median prices between individual suburbs, look at relative amenity and, uh, you know, what you're getting and, you know, what the schools are like at the area level um, when you start to drill down. And there can certainly be some merit to seeing how the, the, what's the chances of demand coming to that next suburb. And if that suburb's also performed well over the last 30 years, but just not as great over the last one, three and five years, then... That sounds like a pretty good bet uh, for me. Certainly better than throwing darts at a board. So what has been the top 15 suburbs for growth uh, in the median house price over the last year? So keep in mind, I've only looked at suburbs that have had the 30 or more sales. And when we go through this top 15, the top suburb that had 25.6% growth was Winthrop very decent suburb with a median house price of 1.252 million. We then had Middle Swan at 419,000. So that was yet yeah, very undervalued when you consider the growth that had happened in neighboring suburbs. And that's had 23%, 23.2% change in the median house price over the last year. Bullsbrook, another sort of outer suburb in Swan that was arguably due for a bigger catch-up jump, so 22.1%. Parmelia in Quinana has been another has had another solid year of performance. It's at 376,000 in median house price. People are asking, oh, is that overpriced now? I'd actually think that when you look at what else is around for your money, there's still value in places like Quinana and Rockingham at the moment. Uh, people have been looking at how much they've grown and thinking that they're, they're potentially not as you know not seeing as much value there. And but I actually think the there is they are still relatively undervalued, especially when you look at the rental yields that are still on offer there and supporting that higher price movement ahead. Then we've got places like Lathlane and South Perth, which were there was only sort of four. Uh, suburbs that were higher priced in this list. They had solid performance, Lathlane with 19.4% and South Perth with 18%. And it's good to see Lathlane get a bit of its dues there. I mean, it's had a lot of work done to the uh, upgrade of the Eagles uh, home ground, the Oval there. It's got Burswood on the doorstep. You know, arguably it's still undervalued at 1.1 million. You go and put that in any other capital city and God, it would be worth double that. And then we start to scroll down the list. We've got Aurelia, Coolangup, Camillo, 
which is in Armadale area, Greenmount, Brookdale, another Armadale suburb, Kilman in Rockingham, Leader in Quinana, Applecross in Melville was one of the other higher price points that snuck into the number at number 14 in the list, and Kudan up in Mandra. So that had some decent uplift still at 15.2%. So what are my, some of my observations out of this list? Only three of the 15 suburbs are actually higher priced premium areas. That was Applecross, South Perth and Winthrop. So a big shift on when I've prepared this data in the past, especially compared to last year. At the time then, we had mainly premium suburbs all in this list. Now, 11 of the 15 suburbs are priced at the lower end between 340 and 512k, where buyers have been chasing that value and investors have been tracked to rental yields, which have been between 6 and 6.7% on those property, on those suburbs. So very decent rental yields, even still on offer there. And what's the breakdown in the growth rates for the Perth Metro. This is really going to give you a feel for how many suburbs and what sort of level of growth has been occurring. And I'm going to compare it to last year's data as well. So we had 16 suburbs that achieved less than 5% growth, uh, less than negative 5% growth. And we also had 24 suburbs that achieved between zero and negative 5% growth. So that's basically negative change in the median house price. We've got 24 suburbs and 16 suburbs. And when I looked at what price point those suburbs are, they're mainly all between 800 and 1.3 mil. So that's very different showing up in the median. And the types of suburbs are all more towards that premium end. We've then had 81 suburbs achieve between 0 and 5% growth, and they're mainly between 600 and 1.2, all very middle sort of suburbs achieving single-digit, low single-digit growth. So arguably many underpriced ones in there. Will we see boost to this segment next year when I look at them? 83 suburbs have achieved over 5% and less than 10%. And they're mainly priced between 400 and 600k. We've had 46 suburbs achieve over 10%, but less than 15%. And they're mainly between 450 and 550k. We've had nine suburbs achieve 15 to 20%, and they're mainly at the 400k. So you can see as we go up in the growth achieved, the typical prices have been decreasing. And then of the three suburbs that achieved over 20%, we had Bullsbrook, Middle Swan, and Winthrop, one of them being premium, two of them being more lower end. And that was out of 259 suburbs that had had 30 or more sales. And there was a potential 403 Perth suburbs tracked there. So what else did I notice? So over the last two years, we've had much more suburbs achieve above 20% growth last year. We had 31 suburbs versus only five this year. So it's certainly, oh, actually, sorry, that was five last year, 31 the year before, and we had three this year. So it definitely shows that the rate of growth will change median house price is certainly not as rampant. We've had similar amounts of suburbs this year compared with last year, 
that are in that 5 to 10% growth band. We had 83 suburbs last year and 82 this year. And we had a lot more suburbs in that over negative 5%. So they've had worse than negative 5%. We had 16 in that category versus four last year. So what are some of the reasons that a lot more suburbs may be showing up in that negative space? Because when I actually look through to the bottom five suburbs in that list, and when I looked at the majority of them all being sort of between 800 and 1.3 mil, when I look at the actual days on market that these are taking to sell and some of the trends in the underlying stats, the markets there are still really super tight and everything's still pointing towards stronger growth ahead for the majority of them. So I think the median house price is not a true reflection of what's actually been happening on a per property basis and you really need to take median house prices with a grain of salt basically especially when we've got lower transaction volumes properties being more tightly held it just means that more of what's transaction transacting is lower in its uh, average or lower in price for the given suburb and that's pulling the median down remember half the properties are selling above that price half the properties are selling below so hopefully all of that gives you a deeper sense that there's certainly plenty of growth occurring at a suburb level as indicated by the median house prices and definitely activity has switched more towards the the bottom end and that's where the biggest jumps in median house price have been seen with 11 of the 15 suburbs that experienced the strongest gains all being on that lower end between 340 and 512 and all having very good rental yields. Now, when I speak about rental yields, where are the top suburbs for rental yield in Perth? You can bet your bottom dollar that it's some of the usual places. We've got, with a bit of a drum roll, Armidale being the top rental yield suburb with 6.93% rental yield, very strong rental yield there still. Medina with 6.88%, Bullsbrook with 6.72%, Mandra with 6.59%, Belga, 6.53. Callista, we've got Ridgewood in there. Greenfields, Cannington, Haynes, Gosnells, Seville Grove, Gilman, Camillo and Parmelia. And we've got rental yields ranging from 6.29 with Parmelia at the bottom end of that fifth, top 15. Armanel at the top end with 6.93. And, the, and what's to note here is that we've got a you know, options that are both north in Ridgewood, Belga, etc. We've got east options being uh, the Armadale, Hillman, Gosnells, Cannington's in the mix there. And then we've got uh, Mandra sort of way areas like uh, the Greenfields and Mandra itself. We've got the far north with Bullsbrook. And then we've got the Rockingham areas with Callista and Parmelia. So a real mix of locations, and it's just going to show, I think what I've looked at in the past, it's been more definite, definitely focused around Rockingham, definitely focused around Quirana and uh, Armadale, but there's a bit more of a spread out down to north of the river as well. So some of my observations, most of the suburbs have a median house price between 330 and 380k, and in reality, 
because we're on the ground uh, purchasing properties for clients, really it's hard to find a decent uh, property that's under four twenty thousand now. You really want to not be. You really want to be still getting a neat three by one for that sort of money. And I think if you're under three fifty k, you're really going to struggle. You probably need to start looking at villas at that sort of price point. But ideally, you want to be at four twenty k and above. And you can readily achieve that sort of six to six and a half percent rental yield from what we're seeing on the ground. So, looking at the breakdown of yields and what's on offer, we've got. 34 suburbs with a yield greater than 6%, 40 suburbs with a yield between 55 and 6%, and then we get down to, at worst, we've got 37 suburbs with less than 3.5% yield. So very strong rental yields on offer, and I was really surprised, and I probably, guess I probably shouldn't be, but I even made a big noise and people around the office were like, what? What, Jared? But I was surprised to see that despite property prices rising over the last year, it's clear that rental prices have risen by a lot more across the board because when we look at how many suburbs have a greater than 6% rental yield, it's gone from just 10 last year with a 6% or a greater rental yield to now having 34. So not only has the, the upper yield improved when we look at that next segment of five and a half to six percent yields we've increased from 21 suburbs last year to 40 suburbs so significantly increase in the yield on offer in a lot more suburbs here and that's a massive reason why despite rising interest rates investors are really being attracted to coming to perth now let's take a step back shall we that's enough sort of data. I want to put it in perspective for you. It's easy to see why many investors get analysis paralysis because you can really get lost in this data and it can potentially hold you back from taking action. How do I know that people get lost in this? Well, we chat to people that have spoken to us about helping them and they might have spoken to us a year ago, some even more, and when we touch base with them again, they still haven't bought something. Despite having the borrowing capacity, despite looking this whole time, months can quickly pass. If you don't have the skills to intensify the search, to, you can get lost in that analysis in the, in the suburb search. And then that's not to mention, you know, when you actually start getting down to the specific property level, it can be confusing as to which factors are important, which ones aren't, which which trade-offs are the right ones to make. And that's why I developed something called our trifecta criteria, and it's something exclusive to us. We use it to ensure that the suburb area and property all stack up. So think about zooming down from the top level of the suburb. We would use the long-term and the short-term growth prediction and uh, historical performance over the long term, the short term growth prediction. We look at all those factors to see how it's likely to perform in the short term and the long term. We make that suburb selection. I won't go into all the ins and outs of how we do it because, you know, there's a fair bit of, there's a lot of research involved. It's hard to summarize it in, in a single statement, but we're basically wanting that growth to likely to be continuing as well, making sure all the underlying stats are supportive of that. When we 
choose our suburbs and shortlist them. We then look into the specific areas within a suburb. We look at what the drivers or the detractors are with its lo- the locations. We look at the school catchments. We look at the home, any homes worth housing on that. We're starting to zoom in closer to the individual property now. We're looking at street presentations and are certain streets better than others and other other detractions that affect individual areas like, oh, you know, does that back onto the shops or back onto the, the waste treatment plant or the, the HV power lines? And, you know, so that's area factors that are going to in- influence desirability and appeal. And so the third part of that trifecta that I talk about is then analysing the individual property. And I find that when we break things up this way, it, and especially when we present properties to our clients this way, it's very clear then for us to highlight which trade-offs we're not accepting of and which what, why we may need to walk away from a property or why certain things are going to impact its rentability and or its resale. And we can take a look as well back at how the property itself has performed in the past and calculate out its growth rate based on today's price and appraising today's price. We can look back at the most accurate longest back sale record and calculate how the specific properties performed. And ideally, we want that to have performed better than the suburb. And that's going to give us a better chance that it's going to perform in the future better than the suburb has. So I also want to go deeper to there's a bit of the art as well as the science. We want to look at the specific location. What are the direct neighbours? What are the factors that are going to appeal or detract from the rentability in that future resale? Then I appraise the likely market value and the rental value. And if we're serious about looking to buy it, we'd usually cross-check the market value with other local agents that have got similar properties under offer because uh, by the time prices get to the sale record, they can be very outdated. Now, if hopefully all of this hasn't hurt your head too much. If you want to basically leverage all of our skills and put them to use for you, we've obviously got our buyer's agency service that we can help you with now. Get in touch. And we've also got what we call our buyer's info packs where we can give you suburb recommendations and keep in mind that this is looking historically at how things have performed and I'm not it's certainly not always reflective of how things are going to perform in the future and if anything today has showed you that certainly don't use top level median house price data to make your decisions about when you buy and when you sell and which areas you're looking to You need to drill deeper and there's certainly a lot of value on offer and a lot of fantastic rental yields on offer is the other conclusions from today. So if I can help at all, get in touch and if you like this episode, give us a rating or review and uh, share and I'll catch you on the next one. Bye. Just a reminder, the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature. As we don't know your specific situation, you should always seek professional advice before taking any action. For free market reports on your suburb of interest and other helpful resources to grow your wealth, make sure you join my property investor update at investorshedge.com.au slash join. And finally, make sure you're a member of our Perth Property Investment Facebook group. To be part of the conversation with other like-minded investors, Get help to your questions 
and get a feel for what's going on out there in the market. I'll see you in the group.